All right, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 20, verses 17 through 28. It says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, on one at your right and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Because, but Jesus called them, called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, verses 17 through 19 and verses 20 through 28 may seem not to connect, but they actually do. As you're going to hopefully see by the end of our study tonight, that Jesus is modeling in the first verses the same attitude that he teaches in the next section. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem. And he's on his way to Jerusalem for what reason? To die. He's going to Jerusalem to be put to death. If you remember in our study, he's been staying away from Jerusalem. He would only show up at the times for the feasts. He would also do that in secret. Every now and then he'd make a public speech, but then he would disappear. He would staying away until it was time. We've done that whole study. Now it's time. And he's going up to Jerusalem and he tells his disciples, I'm going to die. They're going to be crucifying me. He literally says, they're going to crucify me. And three days later, I'll rise He knows this, but his disciples don't know it, even though he's told them now three times. You may not have caught that in our passage, but actually this is the third time in our study of Matthew that he's told them that he's going to Jerusalem to be killed. Let me take you back to the first two. Go to Matthew 16. Go back to Matthew 16. Look at verses 21 through 23. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. It's good to see the stewards. For those that are online, the stewards are here, so they get the points. They get the points. Matthew 16, look at verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Look at verses 22 and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they'll kill him, and he'll be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And now in our passage for tonight, here in Matthew 20, the third time now he's explaining to them that he's going to be killed and rise from the dead. And he gives them a lot more detail. You can see in verse 17 again, Matthew 20, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, 
See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and what? And crucified. And he'll be raised on the third day. Now, what's interesting is not only does Matthew record that Jesus has told them this three times and three separate occasions, Mark does as well. Go with me to Mark chapter 8. Go to Mark chapter 8. Look at verses 31 through 33. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Go over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he didn't want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Jump over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, look at verses 32 through 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve, taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, hopefully you've seen just by reading in Matthew's account and Mark's account, those two sections that we looked at today in Matthew 7, chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, and chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, they are connected, aren't they? You're going to see that there's a connection. It's going to get even deeper as we go further. So, I'm going to ask you a question. Why hadn't they heard him? Why had they not understood? What are some ideas as to what we can see here already? Why had they not heard that this was going to happen? I mean, Jesus tells them, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to crucify me. And three days later, I'll rise. And immediately after saying that, the disciples, with mom's help, say, who's going to sit on your right and who's going to sit on your left? Any idea why they've missed it? Well, you're going to see that that is part of the answer. Her, 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 her answer was, they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. You're going to see that's going to be a key player in just a little bit. But there's more to it. We've already seen from what we've seen, they have their eyes set on what? Things of 
of man, things of this world, not things of God. That's a big part of it. But that's why I've been saying to you over and over and over, when you study the Gospels, get yourself a Gospel parallel and get, find out if it's in other Gospels, because when you put all three accounts or all four accounts together, you will find that you get a fuller information. Luke actually tells us even more why they don't get it. Go to Luke. Go to Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at the three times that Luke records Jesus telling them. And tell me if something doesn't jump out at you from Luke's accounts that wasn't in Matthew's and Mark's that might help us answer this question. In Luke chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now jump over in Luke chapter 9, verses 43 and through 45. In Luke chapter 9, verse 43. And they all astonished at the majesty of God, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Jump over to Luke chapter 18. And look at Luke 18, 31 through 34. And Luke 18, starting in verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. All right? Why did they not understand, according to Luke's account? It wasn't revealed to them, and they weren't able to perceive it because it was concealed from them. Now, hang on for a second. Don't jump to conclusions that are wrong. Some of you might be jumped to the conclusion that, well, that, that they, they're not accountable because it, they were kept from being able to understand it. No, the reason that they were kept from being able to understand it is because Jesus had already clearly been laying out to them who gets spiritual truth. You all remember who gets the spiritual truth? You remember it in our last study and we've also looked at it. Well, if you don't remember, it's okay. Go to Matthew 11. Go to Matthew 11. It, well, definitely, but go back to Matthew 11. And look at verses 25 through 27. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. We could hear that it, they were kept from understanding it, and they could not perceive it, and it was concealed from them, and it was, sounds like it, it's not their fault. But if you put the Scriptures together, it was their fault that it was concealed, because they're still trying to look at it with man's eyes, still trying to figure it out with human reasoning. 
And folks, many of us fall into that same trap. You and I may be going through things that we don't understand. You may be wrestling with an issue that you don't know what to do next. And you weigh the pros and the cons. You sit and you think it through logically. Well, if I do this, well, maybe that'll happen. Or maybe I should try this. And you look at it with human eyes. And the Bible says that spiritual truth, wisdom, understanding is given to the children who are willing to humbly say, Daddy, I don't understand, but you said you'd teach me. Was it concealed to them because they weren't at fault? No, it was concealed because they were still trying to look at it in their own way, figure it out their own selves. Go with me to James chapter 1. Look closely at James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In this passage, James says, you want wisdom? God gives it to everybody. It's available without reproach. But you've got to be willing to believe and not doubt. If you doubt that God's going to give you an answer, is he going to give you an answer? No, it'll be concealed from you. It'll be hidden and you won't be able to perceive it. And it's your fault. Folks, spiritual truth is out there for the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that God's revealed himself through all creation so that all men are without excuse. And then it goes on and it says, even though they knew God, they chose not to worship him. The reason people are blinded is because Satan's blinded their eyes, but it's also because man in his choice has chosen not to respond to God in the way that he's designed to, to reveal spiritual truth. It's given to the, those who are humble and like little children this is your gracious will, Father. This is your plan. By, by the way, we've talked about this already. Why is this God's gracious will that he receive, uh, sorry, gives spiritual truth and wisdom to the children? Here's why. Because if it was only given to the intellectual, a bunch of us would miss out. We would. Let's be honest. Some of you in this room are way smarter than I am. Don't get too proud. I'm smarter than a couple of people in here, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Probably not. But here's the deal. Thank God we don't got to be smart. You don't got to be smart. Spiritual truth is revealed to anybody who's willing to humbly say, like a child, I don't know. But I believe you'll tell me. That's important. That's important. Now, spiritual truth, like you brought up, Jill, though, also. The spiritual truth is revealed only by God's spirit and only when he knows that the time is right. Don't, don't miss that. Because some of you say, Jim, I really do believe, but God hasn't spoken. I've been praying and I believe, but he hasn't answered. Well, stick with me. We'll talk about that too. Go to John chapter 13. This. Oh, I think scripture would have been fulfilled even if they had acted differently because scripture is going to be fulfilled. But at the same time. Right, they might not have scattered. There's, there's a whole lot of things that definitely would have been different if they had acted differently. But I can't go to the extreme of saying the scripture wouldn't be fulfilled. God's word says it'll all be fulfilled. So, yeah. But go to, uh, go to John chapter 13. Look what Jesus says here. 
in verses 6 and 7. In John chapter 13, verse 6, And he, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? I love this answer. Jesus answered, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you'll understand. Don't miss that. Jesus was doing something in Peter's life at that moment that made no sense to Peter at all. And he, Jesus said, I'm not expecting you to understand right now what I'm doing, but you will later on. So, has anybody ever had that happen to you? Things you went through, you're like, I have no idea what God's doing, and this one's got me totally baffled. And it isn't until like a year later that all of a sudden, now I know. But it's because God will reveal his truth when he knows it's time for you to know it. Again, a child says, I've asked my daddy, and he said he'll tell me, and so I'm good. Well, he hadn't told you in about 10 months. He said he'd tell me, and he'll tell me. You see, that childlike faith, some of you have gotten mad at God because you asked and he didn't come through. No, he didn't come through in your timetable. Go to Luke 24. Luke 24. Look at verses 25 and following. Luke 24, this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. We'll start in verse 25. He's talking to the two men on the road to Emmaus and he's keeping them from recognizing that it's him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow a heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study I would love to have sat in on on that one. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Did they finally figure it out? No. He chooses when you get wisdom. It's done by the Spirit of God, not by human intellect. When if any of you over go, all of a sudden go, oh, now I get it. You didn't just figure it out. How often do we say, I finally figured it out. I finally figured it out. No, you didn't. I'm going to say this nicely. Stupid, you didn't. Child, doofus, you didn't. If it's spiritual truth, it's spiritually discerned, and God opened your eyes. Oh, but he wants to open our eyes. 
He wants to show us, but he's waiting for the right time and the right way. And one of the things he's looking for is faith. Knowing what he said and believing what he said. Did you notice how he kept pointing them back to what was said? Guys, you're so slow hard to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Don't you remember the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you? He kept pointing them back to what he had said. If you don't know what God said, you're not going to be able to get spiritual truth and wisdom. Because you know what he's going to do? Well, go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, he told him what he was going to do. In John chapter 14, look at verses 25 and 26. John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What is our responsibility? Read it. Treasure it. Put it in your heart. Just You don't even have to memorize it. I know that makes some people mad. But you don't have to memorize it. He's going to bring it to your remembrance. Feed on it. Treasure it. Love it. And he will bring it to your remembrance. But if you don't read the book, he's not going to be able to speak to you the way that he needs to and wants to and the way he's designed. Oh, not only that. Are you okay that he's going to decide when the answer comes? Because some of us are like, okay, I'm with you, but I got a problem with that. If we're honest, we all do. We all want to be God. We want to know now. And let's be honest. We, you you want to know now. You've you got to be okay, though. A child is okay if daddy says, I'll tell you later. How many times did your kids ask you a question when they were little and you said, because? You could have explained it. They would have never understood it. I remember hearing this story about this guy who was working on his car in his driveway, and this four-year-old boy came up and said, Dad, what are you doing? He goes, I'm fixing the motor. Well, what's the motor do? And uh, he said, I thought to myself, I could explain to him combustion and fuel and air ratio and electricity and all this stuff. And finally, I realized that would make his head explode. And all I said was, this makes the car move. And the kid was like, oh, that's good. Let me give you a couple of scriptures to write down. And then I'm going to have you read a couple of things for me. I want to encourage you with the fact that you're not the only one that God doesn't always tell you when you want him to tell you. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Write that one down. Look at it later on. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed to us and to our children. Let me give you another one. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. Proverbs 25, verse 2 says this. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's for his glory to hide things. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. He wants us to search. Doesn't God kind of, have you ever thought about the fact that salvation is like a game of hide and seek? God says, I'm here. Now you got to come find me. He reveals himself, but he wants us to come look for him. That, that's how he's designed it. He reveals himself to those who diligently seek him. But the Bible says none will seek him until the spirit draws them in the first place. God says, I'm here. Now he wants you to come find me. Are you willing to humbly? I'm going to say it this way. It might make you mad. Play the game. This is his world. He gets to do it however he wants. And I want to show you a couple of places real quick that might be an encouragement to you. Because I'm going to show you how God actually hid things from prophets. Go to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. 
2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 18 through 27. In 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse, 7, uh, sorry, verse 18, it says, When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. I love it. That's a dad response. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him. When she said the man of God, this is a, a woman who had actually made a special room for the prophet whenever he came into town. And that room was for him. And she just took the child. That back, back story is she was childless when he came to visit. She made a room for him. And he said, what do you want? And she said, I, I'm not going to tell you. Because she really wanted a child. And he said to her, God says, you're going to have a child. She said, don't get my hopes up. Don't, don't pull my chain. So she takes this child that had been promised by God, and he becomes a young boy, but he dies in her arms. She places him on the bed of the man of God, and she went out. And then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. In other words, it ain't Sunday or Wednesday. Why are you going to church, woman? She says, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is a Shunammite, the Shunammite, run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. This is the same guy that knew when he was in her house, you want a child. And she's like, don't go there. That's the deepest wish of my heart. And that's a subject you can't touch. He knew from God's insight and wisdom, what she needed and what she wanted. At this point, though, now, he says, the child okay? He says, I don't know what's going on here. God's hidden it from me. By the way, I have wrestled over why God didn't tell Elijah, I mean, Elisha here, and, 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 and why he didn't reveal it to him. And you know what my answer is? I still don't know. I could come up with lots of reasons, and I'm sure two or three of you are going to come up afterwards and say, well, I think it was because, don't waste your time. If it's to be known, he'll reveal it to us. But I don't know. But in this instance, it's an encouragement to me that even Elisha said, I don't know. God has hidden it from me. I don't know what's going on. Go to Daniel chapter 12. In Daniel chapter 12, look at verses 4 through 13. Daniel's been given so many visions of the end times and the world kingdoms and the last kingdom of the world and all this stuff. And Daniel 12, verse 4, God says to him, he says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, on, one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank of that stream. And then someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished I heard, but I did not understand. 
Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will will purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Daniel, who has been interpreting people's dreams, who's been even given by God the ability to tell what the dream was without even being told the dream and interpret the dream, this same Daniel is given the vision of the end times and the last days for the nation of Israel right up to the millennial kingdom during the tribulation period. And he goes, I don't understand this. And he goes, and you're not to know it. Then why'd you tell me? I have my reasons. Are you going to quit? Or are you going to keep going in faith? Aren't we glad Daniel wrote down everything God told him, even though he didn't understand all of it? Yet how many of us have gotten mad at God? I'm going to talk to you guys that are listening online right now. How many of you have gotten mad at God because he didn't answer when you thought he should have? Are you okay with the fact that you'll know what you're to know if you humble yourself and ask God for wisdom? Are you also okay if, for God's reasons, you aren't supposed to know? At least not now. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Look at verses 20 through 28. I'm not going to read it to you again, but to remind you, we see from Matthew's account that James and John come up and ask who's going to sit on his right and who's going to sit on his left. Matthew shows us that mom helps in this conversation. And Jesus says, you don't understand what you're asking. They really don't fully understand what they're asking because he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink or as we see from Mark's account, be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? By the way, that means it can't be he's talking about his baptism that he had by John, right? Because he'd already had that. He said, are you able to be Drink of the cup that I'm about to drink. And are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized? So it's not talking about their water baptism. It says, do you really understand what you're asking? You don't understand what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, we're able. I love that. They don't fully understand that great reward is tied to great sacrifice and suffering and loss in this life. Jesus says to him, you want to sit at my right and you want to sit at my left in the kingdom? The people that are going to get to do that are the ones who have suffered the most in this life. Now you're not in much of a hurry, are you? Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Let me take you to a couple of passages of scripture that lay that out. Romans chapter 8, it's a passage of scripture that we love to quote, but we don't quote the whole thing. We only quote part of the verse. In Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, look at what it says. It says, the Spirit, Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen. Oh, I didn't keep reading, did I? Provided... We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Reward is tied to loss 
and suffering in this life. We want to be saved and then brought into heaven with the yellow brick road. But the Bible actually says that for his sake, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. Don't think that just because you're mine that you're going to escape it. Oh, don't listen to those preachers that said you shouldn't be ever sick and you should always have money. That's not what the Bible teaches. And Christians need to understand that to follow Christ means to take up his cross. What's that next word? Daily. And follow him. Whoever is willing to forsake his life, who is not willing, can't be my disciple. Go to Matthew chapter 19. You were in 20. Go to Matthew 19. Look at verse 29. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. From last week's study. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Who are the people that are going to receive a hundredfold? The people that have given up things in this life for the sake of the cross. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 11 and the first part of 12. In 2 Timothy chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 2, I apologize. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. You want to reign with Christ? You want to sit on those thrones and rule with Christ? You have to be willing to give up your plans, your life, for the sake of following Jesus. Too many people today claim to be followers of Christ as long as they get to still be in charge of how things go in their life. And Jesus says, guys, you want to sit on my right and my left? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? By the way, this cup that he's referring to, this baptism that he's about to go through, he's referring to his death. Or suffering in submission to God's plan. He says, are you willing to die for the sake of the kingdom? They said, unknowingly, yeah, we can do it. Did they have a clue what they were saying? No. But you know what? I'm going to show you from Scripture that even though they didn't know what they were saying, Jesus knew that they would. Go to Acts chapter 12. Let me show you something about James. Some of you may know this. Some of you may not know this. In Acts chapter 12, look at verses 1 and 2. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So, did James drink the same cup as Jesus? Yes, he did. He was put to death for his faith as well, for his, his submission to the Father's plan for his life. By the way, if you read the rest of the story, Herod finds out that this makes the Jews happy, so he has Peter arrested and put in jail, and he's going to have him killed the next day. And if you know the story, that night, God miraculously has the chains fall off of Peter, the doors fly open, and he just walks out of the jail while everybody's asleep, and he, they don't even know he left. Oh, by the way, 
that blows up anybody's theology that can figure God out. Can you ever imagine John, the brother of James, in the days that followed his brother being put to death in the same prison that God released Peter from miraculously? Every time they get together and Peter's in the room, it's a reminder that God chose for his reasons to spare Peter, but to kill his brother. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to follow him even if he gets to call the shots and you don't? Oh, we're going somewhere with this. I, I don't want to hammer you too hard, but we're going somewhere with this. By the way, if you were to look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John explains that he wrote the book of Revelation from the Isle of Patmos. Does anybody know why he was on the Isle of Patmos? Because of suffering for the cause of Christ. He had been through a whole lot. And actually, if you do a little bit of research, you'll find there was even a point where they tried to kill him and he didn't die. But he suffered a lot because of his faith in Christ. And he ended up isolated on an island of Patmos because of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you go back to Matthew, Jesus already told them that they would. Go back to Matthew again in chapter 20. And look at what he says. He says in verse 23, you will drink my cup. You will drink my cup. Now, before I go to the rest of what he said, I want you to also know that Jesus not only knew how their lives were going to play out, he knew how Peter's life was going to play out, too. Go, go real quick with me to Luke chapter 22. We have time. I'm looking at the clock. We're doing pretty good. Go to Luke chapter 22. Look at verses 31 through 34. In Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So here Jesus says, hey, Satan asked to sift you all. I prayed for you specifically, Peter. Uh, and after you deny me, after you walk away, my prayer is that you won't quit, that your faith won't fail. And when you come back around, I'm going to use you to strengthen your brothers. Peter says, ah, you don't understand. I'm able to drink the cup. I'm willing to go to prison and death right now. He says, actually, I know you better than you know yourself. You're going to deny you even met me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. By the way, who was right? Jesus. But I want to tell you something. Go to John 21. Do you know how we already read earlier in Luke 24 how the two men on the road to Emmaus ran back to the upper room and they said to the guys, he's risen, we've seen him, and he's appeared to Simon. He had already been told, they had already been told by Jesus that Jesus went out of his way to go meet Peter that morning of his resurrection. Well, here we have in John 21, we're going to start in verse 15. In John 21, we have a third time that Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, appeared to some of his disciples. And in John 21, verse 15, uh, it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Because I remember a guy that told me he loved me the most. Actually, look at some of the gospel accounts of Peter saying that. He goes, I don't know about the rest of these guys, but I, I'm willing to die for it. In other words, I love you more than everybody else. He says, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, some of you might have missed it. By Jesus telling him how he was going to die, what he was really saying was, you remember that guy a few days ago that said he would die for me? You will. You will. And here's how you're going to die. And he described crucifixion. You'll stretch out your hand. Be taken where you don't want to go. Let me say something to you. I want to encourage you with this. God knows your finished product. Anybody else had a bad day or two looking like Jesus? I have. Thank you for somebody. Put their hand up, please. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not the only one. But you know what? He knows that he'll finish what he started. You and I may have days where we doubt. We have days where we get mad when he's not doing things the way we want. We have days where we question. But you know what? If what he's begun in us is real, we will finish. And he knows. And he knows. But just as much as Jesus knew how their lives would play out and that they'd be sitting on 12 thrones judging Israel in the new world, there are some things that won't be revealed until it's time. That's what Jesus says. Go back to Matthew. Look again at verse 23. Matthew chapter 20, verse 23. He, he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not for me to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. I want to say this to you again. Even though Jesus has given them a glimpse of what's to come in the new world, when he'd already told them, as we saw last week in chapter 19, that you guys that have been with me are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And all those who have left, father and mother are housed in lands for my, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Even though he knows and he's given a glimpse, there are some things that aren't going to be revealed until we get there. By the way, I think that's okay. My flesh doesn't like it. Because I want to know everything. My wife will tell you, I'm one of these ones that loves information. I just like, I ask a lot of questions just because I love information. Now, I am too lazy to ask Siri half of the time. And so I'll ask my wife or somebody else to ask Siri because I want to know, but I don't want to dig. You know, I don't want to dig. But, but there are some things that God won't reveal until it's time. And who's going to sit on his right and who's going to sit on his left? The Father's already determined it. It's already done. It's already settled. Well, then, should I just sit back and quit then? Or should I not worry about it? No, no, listen. You don't know how it's all going to play out. So live like you don't know. And follow the Lord. And trust Him. Walk by faith. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, we're going to see the parable of the sheep and the goats. And when we get there, I'm going to take some time to break down the parable of the sheep and the goats when we get to chapter 25, because it's one of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture. Unfortunately, it's been taught that 
That's how you get to heaven by giving people a drink of water and visit them and in prison. And that's for the church. This isn't written about the church at all. You're going to see in the context real quick in Matthew 25, verse 31, that this is when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne on the earth. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you when? From the foundation of the world. Let me say something to you, folks. This whole universe, the earth, time, space, life, Jesus' life, sin, death, resurrection, millennial kingdom, tribulation period, new heaven and new earth, all this stuff that we understand only a little bit is all the Father's plan. He's had a plan and he put it in motion before he made the first bush. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. What he's got prepared for us and what's to come. Paul's already had a glimpse of seeing some of it. He's even said, I'm not allowed to talk about it. I've seen the third heaven. I'm not allowed to talk about it. But let me just tell you, uh, uh, you can't even compare the suffering we have with the glory to be revealed. The Father has a plan and it's all in motion. And what's he wanting from us? By the way, if you don't get this answer right, we've got to start all over. What's he wanting from us? Just believe, faith, submission, trust. Walk with him on a daily basis. Lay your flesh down. You're going to have to do it on a daily basis because every day your flesh wants to be in charge. Every day. You might be, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. I took control of the reins there yesterday, but today I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to be okay with the fact that I don't have my answers yet. But then guess what? Tomorrow you're going to get mad again. And that's why we have to renew our minds. That's why we have to lay our bodies on the altar on a daily basis. But all he wants from us is to walk with him by faith as children, trusting him, reading, studying, treasuring, talking to him, listening, and doing what he tells us. Stop looking at everybody else. He's got a plan for their life, and he's got a plan for yours and mine. And you will find so much peace and so much joy in your walk with the Lord if you just live the life God has for you. By the way, when the rest of the disciples heard that James and John had asked to sit each on, on each side of Jesus in the kingdom, they were indignant. Anybody want to know why they got mad? Because they didn't think of it first. Exactly. So Jesus reminds them of the fact that he, the one that they would agree is the greatest among them, has come as a servant. Go ahead, look, look with me there. Back in Matthew 20, look at what he says. In verse 25, Jesus called them to him and he said, You know that the rulers and the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, look, would you not all agree that I am over you? You say, when did he say that? Go to John 13. Go to John 13. Look at verses 12 through 17. Right after he's washed the disciples' feet in John 13, verse 12. 
When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus says, look, would you not all agree that I'm the greatest one in the room? And I've come as a servant. You want to be great? you got to take that rule. By the way, how often have we heard, unfortunately, even in the church, the phrase, you got to let them know who's boss. Well, we've heard it a lot. Folks, this is hard for us because all of us want to be God. All of us want credit. All of us want reward. Pat on the back. Acknowledgement. I'll be honest with you. My family will tell you it's true. I don't get angry very much at all. I don't have a temper. I'm not one of these people. But the thing that will set me off is when I feel like I've not been appreciated for all that I've done. My wife's nodding her head. Listen, that's my pride. That's my pride. Wanting to be appreciated for all I've done. When we take the servant road, we not only imitate Christ, we also show that we totally trust that if we're to be exalted, God will do it. If we're to be recognized or noticed, God will do it. You're in Matthew chapter 20. Jump over to chapter 23. Look at verses 11 and 12. Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, look at verses 7 through 11. Luke 14, 7 through 11. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will, will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." Has anybody caught yet that we're starting to see a pattern in Jesus' teachings as he's getting ready to go to the cross? And that pattern we have seen last week in the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And now we're seeing whoever humbles himself will be exalted, who exalts himself will be humbled. Here's how we're going to close tonight in the time that we have left. Aren't you glad that Jesus took the servant's role? Man, I hope you are. Aren't you glad? Matthew 20, verse 28 says it this way. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
I'm going to read to you the first verses from our passage for tonight one more time. Tell me that they don't sound a little different now. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged. We saw the other accounts spit on and crucified. And he'll be raised on the third day. Jesus began this whole passage, this whole section, by pulling his disciples aside and saying, Guys, I want to tell you about what's about to happen to me. I've already been telling you, Peter, you still were looking at it with man's eyes and not God's eyes. And I've told you another time and you were all bewildered and distressed and you didn't know what to say. And so you just left it alone. I'm going to tell you a third time. I'm going to go into great detail. But guys, I'm going to be okay because three days later I'm going to rise. The reason I'm going to rise is because my father's word is true. And yes, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be spit on. They're going to pull my beard. I'm going to be beaten so much. The prophecy in Isaiah said I'll be beyond recognition. You won't even recognize me when they're done beating me. But I am giving you an example that I want you to follow. This is the Father's plan for my life, and I'm okay with it. And aren't we glad he's okay, He did it? Aren't we glad that Jesus submitted himself to the Father? Oh, I love you, but I got to say it. What right do we then have to get mad when God doesn't do things the way we want? When the doctors can't figure out what's going on. And we get upset. How dare? What's wrong? I got no problem with seeing more doctors and doing that. But you know what? Sometimes for God's purposes, he allows us to go through sickness. Take it from a guy who's had cancer and it may come back. Does my flesh want it to come back? But if he chooses, the proper attitude is he's God. And I'm not. And I ain't living for this life. I'm living for the one to come. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. I'll close tonight by reading one more passage of Scripture. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. You know it well and probably could quote it. But my prayer is that beyond quoting it, that the truth of it sinks into our hearts Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love you. We'll see you next week.